0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Duff Shui, Weekly Duff. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Duff or so. We're back. We're back on Nun Gimelam and Bet 53B in the edition that was originally published by the Widow and Brothers Rome in Vilna these 150 years ago. We are almost at Tu It's a good day today. Manis got married. So we're a little bit uh, watching it on the TV, watching it on the Facebook Live, dancing uh, in a very socially distanced way, about 3,000 miles distance. Sad that we're not there, happy that we're there. Such is life in COVID. So today we're going to continue question of how to acquire things, enslaved people, land, in different ways. All right, today we're going to go into a couple of tangents, and then we're going to leave in a cliffhanger as these things go, and you'll all come back next week, and we'll have another wonderful episode. So here we go. Let's start. We are on 53B, Amar Shimon. It's the second line from the bottom. Amar Shimon. makom. Right? So this is going back. Shimon's statement is at the end of the breitah, which we saw last week. How, what does chazakah look like If for an enslaved person? It's if the enslaved person tied the uh, master's shoes or untied the shoes or took his vessels after him to the bathhouse, meaning probably his towel or his clothes. And if he undressed him and bathed him, oiled him, Rubbed him down, clothed him, put on his shoes, picked him up, meaning like probably helped him into bed. So then those uses, that is a use of an enslaved person, right? Treating the enslaved person as an object, but that's the use of an enslaved person. So those things are considered chazakah in order for a person to acquire an enslaved person. Bracketing here, the complete abhorrence of the ability to acquire an enslaved person. That, that was the reality of a slave society. That this is just a by the way, by the by. And so Shimon then says on that, and that's where we're going to pick up this week. Um, two lines down, Reb Shimon says that chazaka uh, should not be um, greater than hagbah, right? Than lifting up. So chazaka is all these things are listed, and then hagbah. Is listed as one of the ways lifting up is listed as one of the ways of chazakah. Um, hagba is not only so, hagba is sort of assuming saying hagba is actually should be listed by itself, it should be is greater, shouldn't be. We shouldn't seem that to say that hagba is subsumed underneath chazakah is one of the things of chazakah because hagba actually acquires in all kinds of different ways, it's not limited to just acquiring an enslaved person, but hagbah is how you could acquire a calf. Hagbah is how you could acquire a, a guitar or even, to a certain extent, well, it's not clear how you do that, a boat, right? Things that you can lift up can be acquired with hagbah. Amar Rabbi Amar Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Bira says, the name of Rabbi Yehuda, Haiman deshada lifta bepili deger, a person who throws throws seeds into uh a the the through the like the the cracks in the gate of land that belonged to a convert lo have chazaka. this is not considered a chazaka, right remember we said talking about a ger who uh, who died so the the gear had no gear has no relatives and if a gear died without having children born jewish then the convert has no relatives and then is the convert's property is considered hefker as ownerless. All right, so this is here we're talking about someone who just threw seeds into the into the land of a convert onto the land of a convert. Didn't cover them up with, didn't do anything. Just threw the seeds. So that's not considered a chazaka, even though it seems to be using because those seeds will grow, will actually uh, go and grow and become um, vegetables. But they're not considered a chazaka. And the stump says, my time, oh, why? when he threw the seeds onto the field, he didn't do anything to improve the field. And now, actually, that vegetables grew from those seeds, that happened by itself. It could have also come, it could have also been that the wind came and blew the seeds away. He didn't make any attempt to actually improve the land. And that's actually the kind of frame for the next part of the cilia, which is what does it mean to make a chazakah, to actually do something which in the semiotics of ownership shows that you have a relationship of ownership with a field, with a piece of land, meaning that what have you done to improve that piece of land or that tree or whatever it is. So Amr Shmuel, Shmuel says now there are a bunch of Shmuel statements on this topic. So a person who takes rocks off in order to, for the intent of bettering the land, so then he acquires it, and if it's the intent is a Beidari, he doesn't acquire it. Beidari, Rashbam, and the oh, lexicographer Sakov say it's a threshing floor. Others, like Tosva, say it's an animal. It's a pen for animals. And in, in a minute, we'll explain the difference. Why? Hechidami. How how do we know the difference? Shakal mulya If he takes from the mounds and he puts it into the depressions in the land, so then it's uh, we know that he's doing it for the land because he just wants to smooth out the land so that he could go and he could plow the land or use land for something else. Mulya to improve the land. b'mulya benatza benatza If he's just actually... Putting, making the mounds higher and making the depressions lower, so then it's not for in order to to improve the land, but in order to make some space in the land for a Baidari. So that's either a threshing floor or Telsa raises an issue here, Rabbi um, of Orleans, who's quoted in Telsa raises an issue that that doesn't really make sense. Why do you think you need flatter land for? plowing than you do for for threshing so actually the different but he says bedari not using it as one word a bidre or something right the place that you're 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 throwing things up in in sense of threshing them um, but rather bedari in the sense of a dari from dart from ladur right so a place that animal an animal pen and it's also a swara that that if you raise the mounds and lower the depressions, then you have different spaces where then it's easier to pen animals in those spaces. Okay, but the point is that if you're using, if you're just, what you're doing to the land is not for the sake of the land, but for the sake of just doing something else with the land, so that's not considered an acquisition of the land. The Amr Shmuel, and Shmuel continues, Haimad maya ba'ara, adata da'ara if a person opens up a way for the water into onto the land, if he opens up either whatever kind of dam or you know stoppage there was between the water and the land, so if it's for the purpose for the for the betterment of the land, so then that's an acquisition. However, if it's just to catch fish, in other words, to let fish flow over the land and then you get to to catch them in one, one way or the other. So then you don't acquire the land. So how do you know? What does this look like? How do you know which is which? If you open up two openings, one for the water to go in and one for the water to go out. So then apparently that's in order to catch the fish. So the fish will go through and then when they're in the middle, you'll be able to catch them on your net. But And you don't care for the water to stay there to actually irrigate the land. One opening is because you want the water to come in and irrigate the land so that is a Kenyan because you're doing what you're doing is you're improving the land which brings us to our first ma'aseh of the day our first um narrative legal narrative legally um, invested narrative or informed narrative of the day <speaking in Hebrew> there was a woman <speaking in Hebrew> who benefited right from the use of tree meaning but bit by Pulling off the branches for either 13 years or klatshnin, according to some of the manuscripts, three years. Three years, is, I mean, you don't really need more than three years because three years is a chazakah, but klatshnin just means a lot of time. Ata hahu rafik tote parta. So this guy, you now, so it's either there's some of so the manuscripts here say atta haugavra. There's this guy came, rafik tote parta. And who plowed a little bit underneath the palm tree. So this case came before either Levi or Marukva. Ukme biade, and Marukva said that the land belongs to the guy who did the plowing. The woman came and was was uh, loudly complaining, pleading her case before him. So, what can I do? For, what can I do for you? You did not claim ownership in the way that people regularly claim ownership. So, I have no way to resolve your complaint in your favor. All right. So, a couple of things here. First of all, it should be noted that it is a woman who is being disowned. In a literal sense, kind of who is whose ownership of this land was being taken away by a man and by the rabbis. Right. And it's that that relationship is stark because it says that the guy came and Rafik Tote Purta. Right? He's just a little bit of he just he plowed a little bit. It's not that he plowed a lot. It's not that he plowed the whole field. It's not that he planted grain. He plowed a little bit underneath this uh this dikla. This palm tree that this woman had been using for years and years and years. And on the other hand, she comes to, to, the, to either Levi or Marukva, and he says to her, I have nothing to do. I, this so this is the halacha, there's nothing to do. So, two things I want to point out here. One is that the, the verb tzavcha is a gendered verb. It's a verb that is usually used in reference to women who demand legal redress. They use the verb A well, Parallel story, stories with men, and we have a couple of those stories coming up in our very sugya, don't have the verb tzavcha. They don't use the verb to cry out or complain or demand redress. Tzavcha can mean protesting, crying out, complaining, declaring, or shouting. And it's often associated with women. The parallel legal narratives, as we just said, Do not use the verb Tzavach. On the other hand, so for example, we see another story in Shabbat 55a. There are many of these stories. Rabbi Yehuda was sitting in front of Shmuel. This is Shabbat 55a. A woman came and cried out, protested in front of him. And he ignored her. So Rabbi Yehuda said to Shmuel, do you not reason with the verse, one who closes their ears to the cry of the poor, he will cry and not be answered? Amarle. So Shmuel, to that criticism, replied, Shinana, Reshach bechamime. It says, Your master, meaning me, Shmuel, my head, my, I, I am. In cold water, in other words, I'm fine. My master, my master, your master's master is in hot water. Because Marukva was the actually the head of the Beitin. And it says that the house of David, God says, so said so, so God, judge righteously in the morning. So here, ironically. They weren't reading it ironically, but it is ironic that they are reading that this verse, which is demanding justice, is being read by Shmuel very narrowly to say, only the house of David, meaning only the eggslark, meaning only Marukva. Interestingly enough, here, according to at least one gear, so it is Marukva who's turning this woman away and saying, what could I do? Again, a woman in both of these cases, a woman. A second interesting characteristic which genders this story is Marukva's answer "Ma'i avidloch," and uh, we have a number of stories in which that answer is directed by rabbis to women. For example, in Gittin, there are two in the in the fourth chapter on thirty-five A. We have two stories, one after the other, about women demanding either a divorce or their ketubah money. There's a woman, a woman who came before Rav Huna. What can I do for you, I should say these women are widows. Uh, Rav la magbi Rav, my Rav Huna's master. Rav, and we're going to see there are a couple of statements that Rav Huna brings in Rav's name in our sugya as an aside. But Rav Huna la Rav does not allow the collection of the k'tuba money for a widow. Amrale, she said to him, So why, what's the reason for that? That doesn't make any sense. The only reason could be that he's afraid that I've already taken money, taken the money from my k'tuba from the estate before my husband died. And then she takes an oath saying, I have not taken any money, any Ketuba money from the estate. Ravuna Rav said at that point, Ravuna gave in. Ravuna Rav uh, gave in to, to the woman and said that Rav, uh, in, in a case where the woman takes a nidra on her own, so then uh, it's okay. So here again, though, Ravuna's answer, immediate, or first answer is, I have nothing to do. This is the halacha. The woman there takes. And the, the uniqueness of that story and the next story is that the woman takes action on her own to uh, oppose the rabbinic establishment. Second story there, further on on the same Daf, the Ravuna, Right? This is the next generation. Woman came to Rabba, the son of Ravuna. Amar la, and he said to her again, uh, what can I do? The um, Raba magdik tuba larmalta. does not. Rav, who is the Sign of our legacy does not allow the collection of the Ketubah money for a widow. lamag biktuba and my my father also. Rav Huna does not allow the forbids the collection of Ketubah money for a widow. So she says, okay, if that's the case, then then support me. Give me give me money for for support. mizoni so He says. You also don't get money for support, because reputa says the name of Shmuel. Somebody who demands her buy money in court does not is not that is no longer allowed to collect mizonot money for support. She said to him, "Turn over the throne." In other words, like he she cursed Rabba of Huna. Because you've have, you, have, you basically uh, cut me off from both sides. By both, according to both Rab and Shmuel, you ruled against me. So in order to get away from the curse, Rabbi Rav Huna actually turned over his his chair and then righted it. However, apparently her curse was so strong that he still got sick because of the curse of the of that curse supposed to these legal narratives in our story, in the story in our story, the woman takes no action and has no recourse and is just dismissed but what's interesting is that these these narratives are narratives which are gendered which are gendered narratives gendered female right that they have and there's a woman and the woman is in a, a threat to the normal quote-unquote or regular working order of the system as as uh, uh Mar-Ukva says here "De um, you didn't do you didn't operate according to the rules so therefore there's nothing we could do for you you didn't operate according to the rules All Right, it's part of a whole larger thing whether women are a threat to the to the system of law especially in around issues of marriage and divorce. But here, we're talking about a woman, and we're talking about issues of Kenyan, of ownership of land, and still. This week's episode is brought to you by MSU, the only app you really need. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in an argument and painted yourself into a corner because you didn't really know anything about the relationship between sports and economics, or whether Bratwurst really had toxic plastic bits in it, but on the other hand... You would win that argument if you could only pull out that fact and state it with the certainty of a mediocre white guy. Well, now we have the perfect solution. It's the MSU app on your phone or off. Need a fact? The factoid? An alternative fact? Just reach for the MSU when you have to make sh- stuff up. Okay, Amarav. We go on. Hatzarit surab benichse hagerkana. Rav says a person who who carves an image in an estate that belonged to a convert who died acquires that uh, acquires that estate right not exactly graffiti but you know drawing or or carving into the to the wall dirab la de because uh, rav apparently bought the garden of the study hall of rav rav's own study hall with a with carving with carving some sort of image in it it's my okay so now we're going to start asking questions based on other texts. Sadem is suyemet If You have a field which is obviously bounded by its boundaries. Now it's obviously so you know where the field is. It's misuyemet. It's not an open field. It's a field where you can see. And because it has boundaries, and metzar is a specific type of boundary. Right. It's uh, according to some people, it's uh, according to things we saw before. It's 20 amot or it's less, but it's it's the edge of the field, which are open to use by other people. But it also shows where the edge of the field is. So Sadam is suyamit Yemen When a field is specified by its boundaries, Marav, Makosh Echad Kana Kula. So Ravuna said in the name of Rav, right? We saw that lineage just a second ago from Gittin. When a person digs once or, or breaks the land once in one place, is person has acquired the whole field, because it is it is obvious that it is one field. And Shmuel said that he didn't; he only bought the place where he dug. Now remember, we're still talking about According to the Rishonim, that we're only talking about a place, a uh, 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 land that that was that belong to a, a convert who died, so therefore there are no heirs, and there's also no dat there's also no person to acquire it to you, it's just as if it is, it is ownerless. So Shmuel says you only buy that one place, Rav says no, you can still buy, based on that one symbolic digging, you buy the whole field. So if a, a field is not bounded, right? so you don't obviously know where it is, how much do you have to plow? How much do you have to work in, in order to acquire it? Amar Papa, Papa says, and according to some of the manuscript, it's actually Rav here. Not a better manuscript, but Amar Papa, Azil Tayara de The distance that a that a team of oxen will plow and return. So you have to double plow, turn around, and come back. So that doubled row is how much you have to do in order to acquire the field. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel. So Shmuel, this is another Shmuel statement. Obed Kochavim, HaGer, right? Again, here we have a lot of these Obed Kochavim in the print editions, which in all the manuscripts is Gerim. We've talked about this before. Amar of Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Reb Yehuda said the name of Shmuel. Nixei HaGoy, Hare Hein Kamidbar. A land that belongs to a non-Jew is like the desert. Anybody who who grabs onto it makes a a claim of ownership on it onto it, acquires it. My what does this mean? What's the reason for this? So a non-Jew, from the time that the money comes to his hand. He leaves, meaning that he no longer has ownership over the piece of property. But a Jew, a Israel, does not acquire until he gets the star into his hand. Until he gets the deed in his hands. Okay. So there, the claim here is that while a non-Jew can acquire land, can sell, will sell land for money. Right, That's one of the ways that land will be bought from a non-Jew. And as soon as the non-Jew gets that money, then the non-Jew is no longer the owner of that land. But the Jewish purchaser does not acquire the land until he gets the deed which says that he bought the land. And he acquired the land. So there's a, a short time span between these. There's a gap between the transfer of ownership and the money. So the money comes first, and then the transfer of ownership with the deed. And so in that middle space, Hilka, midbar Ben, In that middle space, they are like midbar. They're like the desert. They're hefke. They're ownerless. And anybody who wants to acquire them can acquire them, which could, of course, create all kinds of problems because the non-Jew sold it, the Jew bought it, but there's a part. There's a point in time where it doesn't belong to anybody after the non-Jew sold it, after the non-Jew collected his money, before the Jew got his deed to the field, and that's just because of the, that. There's that there's apparently different legal systems in operation. <speaking> in <Hebrew> Is that true? Does Shmuel actually say that? Does actually, Shmuel, do you really think that Shmuel said that Oved Kochavim is like, that the, the land that belongs to a guy is like the desert? Va Shmuel, dine dine. Shmuel, behold, says that the law of the land is the law. The law of the king is the law. And we're not going to go into this too much. This is the teaser, the cliffhanger. We're going to go next week. We're going to talk about this a lot because next week, is the, probably the original place that it says, Dina Melchutu Dina. This is a principle which reappears throughout halachic history as a very important principle. But here we're just going to read it in its narrow context. Shmuel says that the law of the land is the law, the law of the kingdom is the law. Umalka amar, likne ara And the king says the law of land is that you can only buy, you can only acquire land with a deed. So that, therefore, Abayah um, asks, Rabbi Yosef, how could Shmuel say that the land of non-Jews are ownerless in this space, in this gap between buying and acquiring, right? Between selling and buying, or selling and acquiring that gap. How could there be that gap when the law of the kingdom, the law of the state, is that you have to buy with a deed? And Shmuel said, Dina the Malchuta that the law of land is the law. Amarle, Sir Yosef, replied to him, Annelo yodana. Uh, yeah, I, I, it could be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There is a contradiction here, and I don't know what to tell you. However, Uvda habi bedura duruta. I know of this story that happened in Dura, in the Dura of the Shepherds, or either its name was both, it was Dura Duruta, or it was, the city Dura of the shepherds There's a famous Dura in 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 Babylonia where all kinds of wonderful, beautiful mosaics were found. This is not that Dura, probably, or who knows. Okay, but something happened in that town. Probably was not that one because that one was destroyed by the time that uh, Rav Yosef was around. Be israel the story occurred with a Jew, a Jew bought some land from an Porta. And another Jew came and he plowed it a little bit, or according to one of the manuscripts, he just Hihzikbah, he he claimed ownership on it. Atila Kamid Yehuda, they came before Rav Yehuda. Ukma biyada the shane, and Rav Yehuda gave it to the second person who had just plowed it or claimed ownership on it. So in that case, if that's true, then that follows Shmuel's dictate, right? that the land of an Anjou is like a desert in that gap between the selling and the buying, right? So now the thing is here that Rav Yosef doesn't really answer the contradiction between the two statements of Shmuel, where Shmuel says on the one hand, Dina malchuta Dina, and on the other hand says that it's that that uh, the, the land of an Anjou is like a desert. However, Rav Yosef cites the story of Dura of the Shepherders, which is documents that in fact where Viehuda relied on this statement of Shmuel's that the land of non Jews is like is like the desert, and that was why he left the land with the second guy. All right, so then a bias is back to him, Dura Dura Uta, kamar, kamarit? You're talking about Dura of the Shepherds? Hatam Mitamrihavu. Yeah. There that's a place where they have hidden lands. And by hidden lands meaning that their lands which they hide in order not to, to pay taxes. So they themselves would not pay the tax to the king, to the to the kingdom, or to the king. Umalka Amar and And the king said that only somebody who pays taxes can benefit from the land. So that so Dur Duruta is not your 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 example from Dura U, Dura, Uta, it doesn't matter because it's anomalous since the people in Dura do not follow the tax law, so therefore they don't come under the Dina de Dina. The fact that the Yehuda there seemed to rely on Shmuel's statement that the, the land of non Jews is is like the desert, so therefore the second person who came and laid a claim on him, that claim was upheld. That doesn't matter because that's only that's that doesn't contradict the fact that Shmuel says Dina de Malchuta Dina because that's a place where the people are outside of the system of Dina de, de Dina which does not resolve this contradiction it's just anomalous okay and then we leave it there so, Rav Huna Ara Kochavim so Rav bought a piece of land from from a goy actually again Yisrael so another so a Jew came along and uh, plattered a little bit right in the Semiotics of Ownership um, making a claim on, on on the land. So they came before Rav Nachman. So he gave the land to the second guy. He says, what are you doing? Or, I know what you're doing, essentially. It's because Shmuel said, Land of non-Jews is like desert. And anybody who gets to them... The first person who makes a claim on them owns them, acquires them. So that's why you are telling me that the land belongs to the second guy and not to me, Rav Huna. So I'm telling you, Why don't you follow the other statement of Shmuel's? Remember, Shmuel also said that if a person makes a claim on a piece of land, if he digs up one corner of the piece of land, one piece of the piece of land, he only gets that place. So if you're going to go according to Shmuel, why go according to Shmuel who says that the land of a non-Jew is like a desert there therefore anybody can claim it. Therefore, in this gap between buying and selling, this guy, third guy comes in and he takes the land from me. Just say, okay, you get that little piece of land where you, where you plowed. So replies, Bahai Rav Nachman replies, Bahai ana kishmatin In this, I go according to the tradition. Because Rav Huna says the name of Rav. Kashba Kanakula. Rab disputes Shmuel and says that when a person makes one plows a little bit, or when he, he 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 cracks the land once, so he bought the whole land. So here I'm not here in that machloket in that dispute. I don't go with Shmuel. I rather go with Rab. So therefore, I'm not going to satisfy your claim of uh, wanting me to. Give the land to you, like Shmuel said in that other thing. But rather, I'm going to go according to Shmuel, who says that the land of a non-Jew is like the desert. Okay, now, just two things I want to point out before we end here on this cliffhanger around Dina Machut Adina, which is that in these two cases where we had a dispute and these two cases, which are parallel structurally to the case of the woman who lost her land, Neither of these men who come to the rabbis are tzavcha, right? The verb cried out is not used in those cases. The verb tzavcha is just used with the case of the woman. And there, in these two cases, even when Ravuna argues with Ravnachman and says, My what were you thinking, right? Don't do that, do something else. So there is a pushback. But it's not a tefchah pushback. So it seems that there, there seems there is these cases of women coming to the rabbis are structurally gendered that the woman will cry out and and a man will just say the halacha um, and say make his make his claim in the language of the law and because the man is in the system and the woman the answer to the woman is ma'ayavilach what can I do for you. You didn't do what people do. You were outside the system. Whereas here, even the pushback is, no, go according to this sage and not that sage. And then the answer is, no, I'm going to go according to this sage because that's the lineage here. Okay, and we're going to stop here. We're going to leave off here. We're in the middle, but we're on the top of 55A. So it's the end of our DAF, which brings us to the end of this week's podcast. And thank you for spending this week's podcast, this daf, with me here in the refuge of the Beit Midrash in the Closet. Uh, my name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T, or you can correspond at the address uh, the Widow and the Brothers, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. My thanks, as always, to my wonderful producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon, Check out his podcast, Four Cubits. He and Jeff Helmreich, his partner, have started to explore racism and anti-racism. And also my thanks, of course, to my cheruta, Shalata van Robert, and the wonderful communications department here at Daf Shui, Shachar Cohen-Hodas, who made the beautiful logo. Hope to see you next week. Please bring a friend so that the sounds of the study of Torah will ring out across the land.